Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for December 19th of 2015. I'm Ryan Wilson. I am Cameron Walsh. Uh, did anything happen since last Friday? Uh, did not really. Trying to crash, got rid of a bad player, they got worse. It's been an interesting seven days. For the Penguins. Well, for the league, everyone seems to be every other fan base seems to be reveling in the fact that it looks like they're falling apart. So I suppose I mean we recorded the our podcast last week and no more than like ten, twelve hours later the Penguins fired their coach, so we didn't really uh that was bad timing. I wake up to a tweet from you, a DM from you on Twitter saying, wakey, wakey, there's some news. I'm like, what the hell happened? Did someone get injured? Like, oh, new coach. Okay. So, firing of Mike Johnston, much deserved, right? It is. It, it's, it is. It, it, yeah, there's no other sort of way to put it, is there? No, not really. Not when you look at the fact that all tangible offense was down. And his system was predicated upon being good defensively, and they were uh, they were one of the worst teams at preventing shot attempts. And no offense, bad shot attempts against, not a good recipe, especially, um, you know, if the goaltending's not superb. And it was for a good bit of time. So... I have no problem. His player usage was questionable and uh, their lack of ability to have any semblance of a power play, which has translated over to the new coach, if we're being fair. But uh, you you throw all that together and, um, yeah, he had to go. Um, It's... I suppose you and I have hashed over what we thought was wrong with how they were playing and how disappointing it was that they moved away from what they were last year because of the type of defense that they had that they could use to what they were this year. And you made a really, really solid point in that losing close games because you shut the team down to try and make up for the fact that you don't trust your back six. Uh, 2-1 losses look a lot better than what Mr. Sullivan's come up with in the last couple of games. And I think for me, it really illustrated that point that you made was Johnson coached to save his job, more so than try and get the most out of the team. Um, And you can't blame a guy for that. It's on a two-year contract. He's in the second year of his deal, and he's in a team that expects to compete for the Stanley Cup. Whether or not those are realistic expectations, that's what ownership and that's what the general manager have on the coach. This team should be competing for a Stanley Cup. So I kind of feel for him in that aspect, in that his player usage reflected the contractual situation that he was in. Yeah, and that's a problem, especially when the GM spouts off about it publicly. Uh, But it was really bothersome for me, uh, Jim Rutherford's comment after the firing about not getting him the defense pieces he needed for his system. And it's like, how are you not on the same page? How, how do you fire him and then go, oh, yeah, my bad. I didn't give him the tools that he needs for his system, but I'll fire him anyway. I, yeah, it's just I just I don't understand that. Why not just fire Rutherford, give it to Botterill, and go from there? Well, I, I was um, of the opinion that should have happened right away. Um, I agree. I don't I think- know. Uh, I suppose they think 
Badrul should quote unquote learn more, but underneath a uh, GM that has a spotty track record and uh, he's he's the Jim Rutherford's kind of like the uh, Major League Baseball slugger that is literally all or nothing. He's like the Adam Dunn. Sorry to throw a baseball reference on you, but uh, that's uh, just got spit over my head. Like I've got if you said Sosa or Mark McGuire, I'd get it. But I have no idea who this dude is. Exactly. Used to hit a lot of really far home runs, and at times would hit quite a few of them, but uh, more times than not, uh, complete strikeouts. No, I get what you mean. In fact, used to lead the league in the strikeout portion, if I'm correct. But that's what he reminds me of. Anybody that swings as hard as they can all the time is going to connect on a few, but is that really, you know, the way to go about things? It's it's really interesting in that they finally managed to get rid of Scuderi and they replaced him with a person that definitely has his flaws and should be playing as a number six and playing him as a number six with the skill sets that he's got should suit what the Penguins need better. But this poor player has come in as being asked to play with Oli Mata as a top four and... That's not what he needs to be there for. If they think that that's going to solve their problems when Latang comes back, you need Daly down as a bottom-pairing defenseman. That's just the reality of it. So there's a lot of work to go in that roster. But Rutherford feels to me like the Lamorello hire in Toronto. Pointless. It's like when they did the Lamorello hiring, I think you and I both said... Basically, they might have got him so he's got the connections to make the calls that the other guys in that GM group will be coming up with the decisions. Lamorello will just, you know, go out and make sure that they get done. That's what I felt like Rutherford should have been when he got in, is just to be the communicator to all the other general managers. But that's obviously not the case. Like, he's got there and and has made some quality trades, and then he's got there and just made some boneheaded ones that don't feel like he takes anything any stock or any value at all in And then he loses them the day of or yeah. a week later. And, and then you get there with it and you go, every GM who's got the GM title on it has every right to go with his gut feel. But there have been so many times in the last five or six years with Rutherford that his gut feel has been bad for the team that he's been a GM of. The gut feel to give Alexander Semin that length and that volume of money on that contract is just preposterous yeah and i'm I, i'm a person that thinks that the criticism of of him as a player is a, a little bit over the top but i would never i would never 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 give that man seven years and was it seven or five whatever whatever it was oh, whatever it was it was a, it was a really bad contract and that was a gut feel contract there's absolutely no statistical analysis in regards to trying to put that contract together it's just yep he was awesome for us paying what Paying what he wants, sort of thing, and you just go wow. And, and Pittsburgh have been burnt by that with Rutherford's gut feels. It looks as though when he's listened to his staff around him, they seem to come out on top or at least break even with the deal. Like the Kessel deal, I don't care what people are saying about Kessel at the moment. I I would have done that deal the way that that deal got put together. I'd have done that. Whether Pittsburgh needed to go out and try and obtain the top four defensemen before they got the Kessel deal completed, that's a different argument altogether. But 
how how does Rutherford keep his job next year? He doesn't. Surely they go out and find another GM because he's only on a two year deal as well. I don't know what their perception is with him. To be honest, you got an ownership that's trying to sell the team. I mean, it's a perfect storm of just it's a mess. It is trying to sell the team. Interim older school GM fires his coach a year later that he it wasn't his first hire anyway when you think about it they made changes for the sake of changes now does that mean Ray Shero and Dan Bilesma's time wasn't appropriate to end no oh no it was up you're right it was up yeah but come on like there's no plan at all no I I agree with that. You're seeing the, you're seeing the the results of this. Um... When's the last time you've seen a, a, a team look like it's imploding in front of your eyes over this short a time span? I don't, I'm not meaning specifically on the ice as such, but when has a team felt like such a mess from top to bottom? Basically, like, like it, Pittsburgh's the latest example of it happening. But when was the last time you saw a team sort of? fall apart like this. Would you say it was Vancouver? Um, there certainly um, can fit that bill. Let me take a gander. Like just sort Columbus of trying... Is, Columbus is doing it right now too. Well they, well, they are. And you know the thing that's really funny about Columbus and it probably is replicated with the Pittsburgh situation is expectations of what that roster was supposed to be able to do They've had a change of coach, a complete change of attitude in regards to how the players are treated, and they've just continued to go south. So it's that is the roster construction that is the problem there, not the, not the players, because they're obviously trying their asses off. They're just not, it's just not working for them. It just didn't matter what you did for with coach A or coach B, um, that roster is just constructed badly for what is required in the NHL in this day and age, to the point where their best forward is being benched and scratched because the coach is trying to make an example of him. Well, and he's he gotta, didn't. He's got to learn. He's got to learn and that he, he's too good. He did not want to sign there in the first place for what they're signing for. He will be out of there, and everyone in the league knows that he wants out, and they're not going to get back what they should get back for him. And if I was. If I was Nashville, I would be knocking on the door and getting rid of one of those defensemen. Well, not getting rid of, but using one of those defensemen in that back six that they go, who's the person we see projecting the worst and trading them one for one for Johansson. And that would make that Nashville team really, really scary for that central division. Yeah, Nashville needs to acquire Johansson. Uh, whether Ryan Nugent Hopkins is available or not for real, I would still, we've talked about this, dangle that Shea Weber. And um, I think Steven Stamkos is a cool fit for them, as I've probably said before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... But that doesn't have to be a trade. They could maybe sign him. Like a free agent into the way. So this is why we do have to get to a Tampa Bay <laughs> podcast. Three, three weeks in a row. <laughs> It keeps dragging back in, but this Pittsburgh shitstorm is just dragging us in there every time, and it, it's just it's hilarious. I mean, what happened to like? Did you actually get to watch all of the Boston game today? Like today's game? Uh, I missed the first period. All right. So the thing that that's hilarious is that a lot of the 
defensive mistakes that are cropping up for this Pittsburgh team haven't just happened since the change of coach. It's just been the way it's been all year, right? They've just been bailed out by Fleury. So the thing that I did notice that's changed is that at the offensive blue line, you can tell the defenders have now been allowed to pinch and pinch deep. And the forwards are actually trying to come back and cover the point when they realize they're the third forward high. But a lot of the times when they get caught out on those two-on-ones, the third forward doesn't realize they're the third forward high, so they go deep again. And so it does leave that poor defenseman on their on their own little island. But they definitely pinched more aggressively to keep the puck in the forward zone. So that's a, a marked change from what we were seeing prior to the coaching change. So that will end up resulting in positive actions for the team. They just have to work out who's the who's the cover forward to, to cover off that point that will come with time. Yeah, I, I do notice. Okay. So let's transition to kind of talking about the, the, the differences between the coaching or at least some of the observations that I've had and yep, sure. uh, some of, some of the perceptions that are out there right now. So Sullivan is Owen three. He's <laughs> being outscored 13 to three. And yet, I find myself really believing that the product has been better than it was. Now, it's a low bar. Well, here's the deal: a lot of people cannot, cannot, cannot think outside of things being black and white. So, oh, well, it can't be better because it's not good. No, it is better. It's just not good enough. Yeah. So. What Mike Johnston, we talked about earlier, he wanted to be this uh, all-defensive shot suppression team. And in the first two uh, Mike Sullivan games, the Penguins had uh, two of their best five games on that front this season. And if um, I'm being honest, I think they really outplayed the Washington Capitals, and, and Braden Holtby was amazing. That was a good game for them. Bad yeah. result, good game. I thought the uh, the other Boston games, the first one, was fairly even. It was fine. They didn't score. They didn't generate enough. But I think you're seeing the seeds of improvement. I think you're seeing that the way Mike Sullivan's operating is going to give them a better chance of success. Uh, but I think uh, ultimately you're also seeing that no matter – um, who you put behind the bench, the personnel on this team is just not good enough at the defense position. And if we're being fair to Mike Sullivan, his first three games as Penguins coach has been lacking Chris Letang, and, and that's a very big deal and one that shouldn't be really glossed over. I think the problem with that point you make is that people are going, Letang's been terrible this year, and it's like... Terrible even if, for him. Yeah, but that still makes him the best defender on this team, and this team runs better when he's on the ice. Whether he's been bad for him or whether he's been great for him, the team runs better with him on the ice. And and having your your number one defender out, it's like Boston without Chara. Chara is not the Chara of three or four years ago, but Chara of now I still think is the best defenseman for that Boston lineup. He's obviously paying less minutes so they can get more out of him as the, as the year goes along. But you take any top defenseman out of a team. You take McDonough out of New York. You, you take um, P.K. Subban out of Montreal, Hedman out of out of Tampa Bay. Um, 
it may be one of the reasons why the Ducks are struggling. Jack, is Jack Johnson out of Columbus? I didn't want to go there. Um, you, you have a look at you have a look at how Anaheim is struggling. They probably don't have a bona fide number one guy to carry the team. And, and I, I think you've you've made this point very after clear. having two of the best <laughs> with Pronger and Niedermeyer. Well, and Pronger, yeah, exactly right. Um, so you, you you do get there, and, and and you've made the point really well. Is that teams with top offensive Skills like some of those teams have, if you can't get the puck to them with speed through the neutral zone, they're going to get stymied. And I mean, you have you watch that Boston team; their breakouts, everybody does something in the breakout, and they get the the puck east and west to get their skaters time to go north and south, and then they hit that breakout pass that gets that that hits the guy with speed on the offensive blue line to break into the zone and. You have a look at a lot of those Pittsburgh players, and they have no confidence to do anything with it. And that includes, like, all the high-skilled players. Like, I think the only person out there that's skating with any confidence is 71. Everyone else is, like, tentative and not wanting to do anything wrong because it's, it's what happens when you lose and you continue to lose and you look bad. Everyone makes you feel bad. So why would you try anything, anything risky? Yeah, so the Penguins are one nine and two in their last twelve games without Latang. Yeah, but he's he's not not important to the team at all. Let's trade him. So, that's a problem. But I'll say this for Mike Sullivan: I, I have noticed them getting through the neutral zone with speed a little bit better. Yeah. So these are small victories, but ultimately Tight. you have David Warzowski playing more ice or getting more ice time than Sidney Crosby through two periods tonight. And it's like some mediocre AHL guy is leading the defense in minutes. And it's, and it's like, how did we get to this point? Easy. Like you said, it rolls back onto the general manager. I mean, it, it's really funny when you... You look at how the Penguins have, have just nosedived in regards to the quality of play that they've put out in, in the last five or six games. And they've had some good ones in there. But you hear external people that don't follow the Penguins anywhere near as closely as, as we do or as hardcore fans do, and they go, what was the point of that Phil Kessel trade when you could see that they needed somebody on the back end to come in? And I think the, the big issue for me is that... Um, the seeds of that problem were sown in the display trade and also sown in the fact that Pouliot came into camp and wasn't up to the expectations that they wanted of him at the time when he came in. And they're still playing let's punish the kid down there because he didn't come in ready. Yeah, I hope and, he continues to learn his lesson in the AHL. It's, it's and very they important he learns his lesson. And they are trying to say we're bringing them along slowly. We don't want to rush him. We felt we rushed him last year, which is a load of bullshit. He was actually quite good last year. Yeah, he had his defensive shortcomings, but I expected that of him. Yeah, because yeah, no one on the current defense score has any yeah. of those. Yeah, I mean, you look, they, they've brought up Warsawski ahead of Puglia, right? Now, Warsawski has his defensive shortcomings, but Puglia has a much higher ceiling in regards to um, creating points to make up for the fact he might give a goal against, Puglia's got much more of a chance of getting that goal back offensively than I think anyone else on that roster besides Latang. I would put that ability ahead of what Marta can provide and definitely ahead of what Dumoulin can provide. I mean, Dumoulin is starting to progress to the point where you go, 
I know you don't agree with this, but I think he can be a legitimate number three defenseman. But oh, he's, he's been he's gi- playing really well. And he's been given that opportunity all year to improve. Like, he was tentative as the first 10 games of the year. He's just progressed his way through. You're going to bring Pouliot in with 20 games to go and ask him to hit that learning curve? He'll fail. Yeah. I mean, it's not a good situation on the defense there. They put all their eggs in all these fancy prospects, and they never used any of them, and they didn't really trade any of them for value, and here we are. If you go back and you revisit the Kessel trade, would you have liked them to have not traded for Kessel and gone for a legitimate top four defenseman? Or still go with the Kessel trade and actually chase after Cody Franzen and get Franzen in the lineup? It's a good question. Because they now have to give up an asset to get a top four defenseman. That's the reality. They now have to overpay in regards to getting a guy under contract that will fit in the cap, but give up another asset for it. Like, we were stoked that they didn't have to – that they filled out the top – they filled out the forwards. The bottom six is the best it's been in years, and they did it without trying to do it at the deadline by giving up a second-round pick. They've avoided that with their forward group this year, but they're going to have to do it this year with their with their back six. I have nothing against Kessel. I think he's done fine this year. I think I think all the forwards are being neutered. Um, the Kessel trade, I can't be too upset with the values there. I agree. The, the salary, totally. the salary retention, uh, a first round pick. Um, yeah, those are valuable. Obviously, you're getting a Phil Kessel in return. Uh, there's no guarantee with that first-round pick that it'll ever Resolve. make the impact that Phil Kessel will. Even though, you know, he's, what, 28-2? What if Kessel was 27? Oh, well, you know, same ballpark. Yeah. Scott Harrington's a nothing player. Nick Spalling is negative value. Uh, Kasperi Kapanen, who knows? He certainly... Um, he could. Him and Daniel Sprung are probably on the same level, but them being able to draft Sprung allowed them to have some wiggle room. Yeah. And Sprung, he's not going to be an impact player this year. Um, but for the future, he'll he, he's looking like he'll make an impact in the future, and a lot of people are frustrated that won't be this year. And, and that's fair because they kept him up. But... Looking moving forward, I think everybody can see the speed and skill that he has, and that when yeah. he grow, grows into more of a, a, gets bigger, maybe a little bit stronger on the puck, that'll pay r- really great dividends. No, no disagreement there with with any of that. It, it's just they're going to have to give up assets now, and the problem they've got is that the guy that you suggested they trade that I'm sort of on board with was replaced by a player in the roster now that broke again. So what do you do? Okay. For me, I'm going to beat this until it happens. Hornquist gone. Trade him. So you're going to be happy with Connor Sheary playing up on the right wing? That's a difference. Besides the perception that one works really hard and is a heart and soul guy, yet they haven't done shit with him. (laughs) 
No, but the, I have to admit, the Kunitz and Crosby combination with Shiri actually could do some stuff because Shiri could skate and he's not afraid to have the stick on Listen, his side. I, I don't want I don't want Shiri there long term. No, it's not about being long term though. This team has to quickly turn this around, or you're going to end up in a slide where it's like two wins out of fifteen games, and they've lost themselves out of a chance to make it back. Well, the Bennett thing fucked everything up. Oh, it did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I, I appreciate that. But they've got six weeks to wait till he comes back, probably. No, I understand that. And I mm. trust me, I, I get the the injury thing with him. But I'm, I'm not so sure anybody survives that hit that he was dealt. No, no. I, 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 yeah, you, you can't. His history is his history. I mean, I don't yeah. think there's anything, any way around that. But I, I don't think being injury prone quote unquote changes the end result of that hit Oshie Oshi drilled him. Um I, I like that Oshi got around on him. Oh I didn't to, number to the him. front side. He, he did board him. It should have at least been no, a No no you're that is the definition of boarding. That should have been a minor boarding penalty. Yeah. But as far as uh we talk a lot about suspensions and, and stuff, I I thought he did a really nice job about oh. getting around to the front end. He did everything that I would want him to do to try and make an illegal hit. He just needed to not throw him into the boards. Yeah, the, it's, dist- the, dis- the distance and, and violence of the hit from the boards, uh, that, that, is, that is boarding. I, I, I don't know how else to say it. That, that's a minor boarding penalty. Yeah. In, in, the, in the big picture, it doesn't really matter. Bennett's hurt. And the, uh, you know, that line was looking pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it's something that they can go back to when Bennett gets back on the ice and, and plays again. And I I think Bennett would have enough confidence now that he knows that he can do it. You know, it was one of those it was one of those things when before Marta got got killed into the into the open door by Nina Ryder, he looked tentative to me. He looked like he didn't really trust his body to hold up. After having that happen to him and realizing that his shoulder was going to stay in one piece, Marta's back to the same old Marta that he was before he, he busted his shoulder and had the, the cancer scare. Was he's smart with the play, he uses his stick a lot and he gets his he exposes both of his shoulders with his stick because he obviously reaches a lot because he uses that rather than his physicality and he's back to doing that now. So hopefully Bennett will come back from this and and be fine, and maybe even a little bit more confident that he can play. Because they need him on that on that top line to play like he was. Otherwise, they can't get rid of Hornquist because that's the mental perception they've got. That trade's so bad. It's looking that way now. I wasn't upset with it when it happened, though. I was. Not at Hornquist so much, but the spalling thing. Nashville had two second-round picks. Grab one of those, you reckon, instead? Not so sure they couldn't have. I think they made a choice there. Yeah, and I wonder whether that was a gut feel thing as well. Yeah, gotta get shit depth. These guys because Spalling's not what I would call a statistical love child. He's just blah with everything that he does. So Yeah, watch him. What, what does yeah. he do? Yeah, it's an interesting one. So, it's so, like, you're at the draft making that trade. Why did you rush that trade if no picks were involved? 
Oh, yeah, there was no need to do that. You're James right. James Neal was going to get traded. They were done with him, and that, and I'm fine with that. But you hear things like 15 teams gave him a call, and like they, they, rushed, they rushed that trade. That they rushed can't it. Be the best deal, can it, to, for, for what Neal has value-wise. That can't be the best thing to have gotten back. Two roster players, one of which is now no longer on the roster, and one who gives the perception that he works his tail off, which is great, but has just lost the ability this year to get any tangible results. If the other line mates aren't spoon-feeding it as far as, like, getting the puck, it's not happening for him. It's always a dump-in. It's never skated in. You, There could be a trailer wide open with him skating it in. He's just going to take the wrist shot from the, the near the blue line on the boards. He's going to hustle his butt to the front of the net. He's going to whack away. Uh, sometimes, eventually, there'll be a goal. But overall, the, the a lot of offense dies on his stick because he lacks creativity, he lacks hands, and he just lacks awareness. And quite frankly, you trade away James Neal, sniper kind of guy. You need to do better than a hard-working grinder that's uh, shown a a better ability to score goals than that kind of description. Yeah. So what do you what do you do now? Like you the general manager that's fired a coach, you've bought in a replacement for Scuderi, you're now asking that replacement to play further up the lineup than he should be. It's perfectly obvious that this team needs at least another top four defenseman. Hornquist is the likely trade candidate, but it's difficult to trade him when the guy that you had replaced him on the top line is out injured. So how do you wiggle this around? Well, I think a lot of people are looking for some very quick fixes, and I and I. Th- think you need to kind of temper your expectations that they've pigeonholed themselves into this spot and things aren't just going to remedy themselves right away and some people are going to be upset about that and that's okay because that's that merits criticism but if you're really putting a timetable on how to quote unquote fix the penguins you, you know they're not a Stanley Cup contender this year, and I'm not sure that there's any uh, way to make that happen. If you, I like, obviously you've had the Ovi and Sid comparisons all the way through their career, right? Remember how 24 months ago Ovi was considered a coach killer and all that sort of stuff? The Washington Capitals looked like a team that was on the fritz as well, like they were spiraling out of control, they missed the playoffs. It's It shows you that a situation can be fixed if you don't look for a quick fix. If you look for players that will complement your star players properly and you find a coach that constructs a philosophy around getting the most out of those players, then you can turn it around pretty quickly. But you are going to have a little bit of pain until that works out. So is Mike Sullivan capable of creating an environment that allows your best players to be their best? That's probably going to be the big thing for me looking at the rest of the year. 
Yeah. And I think we've seen mild signs of that. But Crosby's still dragging around Kunitz, who, who has played better on, under the Kunitz standard, but not for top six I'm playing with Sidney Crosby full-time standard. And Kessel. Well, here's the thing with Kessel. I think a lot of people wrote off him and Crosby as a potential duo just because they didn't score right away. But I'm not willing to dismiss that, and I think maybe trying that again is probably not out of the question. Or shouldn't be. So, so I suppose the thing with the thing with doing that is that you take away the Malkin, Kessel, and Perron line that I think's been playing well, but in regards to tangible results, they haven't really been there. Malkin played well with Hornquist at times, flip-flopping Kessel up to Sid, putting Sheary onto the third line, bringing Hornquist back up to the into the top six next to Malkin. This is the thing. I, I've got no problems over the next ten games with this roster just being flipped and flopped, just trying to see what works under the construct of whatever Mike Sullivan wants the team to play. The only issue they've got is that they're going to run out of games to get it right. So it's it's a really tough bind to try and go through this right now, particularly when you're, you're missing the goalie that has been able to win you games that you haven't deserved to win. Yeah, they're in trouble. Oh, yeah. And it wouldn't surprise me if this if this season goes bust. But there are some the way the the, the top the, the way the forwards were constructed this year. I'm happy with the bottom six. They need to make sure they don't move away from that idea, that concept. They just have to work out what this coach wants because they've signed him for the next three years. Although contracts these days don't mean much, they have to work out what he wants so that he can get the most out of the team and I, as you said at the very start the coach and the general manager were not on the same page well, that's pathetic <laughs> he's a fresh hire yeah oh god well there's some I mean the Hornquist thing we talked about that's a bigger move that I think needs to be made uh, there's a goalie that's going to be starting tomorrow that's going to play a big role in their roster flexibility moving forward and Matt Murray. Yeah. What if he's really good? What, are you suggesting that you try and trade your franchise goalie that has a no-trade clause? Modified. I suppose it's movable. It, it, it is now that he's playing well and people are going to yeah. be, he's the only thing that's been good this year. Yes, that is very true. But you're talking six million cap hit, and if you can get league average or better at under a mil, you gotta upgrade the roster somewhere. And he may even bring back like it, for a while there, it looked like that would just be a lucky salary dump the way he was playing. Uh, that hasn't been the case. He's, and I'm not suggesting that's a this year move. No, it's a long, and that's that is the thing. It's like you've got there, and you've looked at that in a long term aspect. I, I think you want that transition to happen probably 12 months earlier than I think it should. But if well, it Murray... depends on Murray. It depends on Murray. That's, 
Exactly right. If Murray comes in and, and bails his team out, then, yeah, you get there and probably the timeline that you were looking at would be more realistic. And as I said before, I don't want Cleary to be traded. I'd like him to finish his career as a Penguin, but you've got to look at the franchise as a what's how do you get the most out of your assets. And once you feel like that you've got someone to replace it, get as high a return back for Fleury as you possibly can. I don't think they'll make that move. I think they'll trade I think they'll trade Murray. <laughs> I, I honestly believe that. Probably. And that's and that's not good asset management. No, they won't get enough for a, a, an unproven guy who's probably going to be a pretty decent NHL goalie. Yeah. And they'll keep paying a premium. For uh, an aging goalie who, in theory, statistically, will start to drop off at some stage, even though he's improving on what he's been. It's just, it's not good asset management. So that's not a this year thing, uh, but it is a fascinating uh, part of the team to, to track moving forward. And Matt Murray hasn't played an NHL game to this point, so. It's all speculation. No guarantee that he um, pans out, but dude has like a 940 save percentage the last year and a half in the AHL. So I think it's safe to say he'll be all right. Well, you'd hope so. And then Tristan Jari's playing well down there too. Yeah, it's it's really funny. They have actually managed to stock the net prospect-wise, reasonably well. So they have flexibility. It's a question of whether or not they're going to use it properly because Pittsburgh had flexibility in their back end. They just had really poor asset management. I don't blame them for letting Brooks Orpik walk for nothing. They should have traded him. Jesus, what a lost opportunity that was. Well, you look at what he got paid. It's obviously still got cachet around the league, and he still gets cachet around the league when you listen to coverages. People still rate him, even though he's a drag on his partner. And I, wrote, I wrote that before that deadline of his contract year. Trade him. I, I think you got torn down for writing it too. Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, but you you look at the fact that they've had so many defensemen walk for nothing, and then you have a look at the skill set of the defenders that are playing and the ones that they're not playing. Like, Clendinning and Pouliot can move the puck. You've got a bunch of forwards that can't get the puck. Why the feck would you not put them in and see if they can move the puck? Like, Trevor Daly can move the puck, but you've got to play him as a number six or a number five. You can't play him in your top four. It's the whole reason Chicago wanted to get rid of him. Well, this I'll say about Daly. I mean, there's no question that he's better than Rob Scuderi. Hi, Bob. They're both terrible defensively, except one yeah. guy can actually handle a, a puck without oven mitts on his hand and actually tries to make plays. And he's already scored uh, an eighth of Rob Scuderi's career goals in two Penguins games. Yeah. So, and that's... Like we, we, you and I have both highlighted the, the shortcomings of this team. Dallas have got the same problem, but they know who they are, so they don't care. They, they, there was a game against Carolina that they should never have. It should never have got close, but it did. They didn't change the way they played. They just outscored them. 
And Daly can help with that if he's played in the right yeah, role. Yeah, but here, here's the deal with Dallas. They, they have a, a legit top six players. Yes, that's true. They do. Who's like Spezza, Sharp, Sagan, Ben, Nichushkin. Um Hemsky. I haven't tracked him so much this year, but in the past he's been. Put it this way: Is Hemsky really that far off from what um, Kunitz is putting up there? No, but the whole the whole attitude around that team is is different. Like they they He's they get into a bad year too. Yeah, but they get into situations where they should lose games, and they just they just have confidence in themselves to go screw it. We'll just outscore them. And I, I think for me that's the difference with this the the philosophy of this Pittsburgh team is they've come in and it's all been about conserving away from a loss rather than going out to win. So that's going to be, I think, the biggest cultural change in that locker room is get them to feel like they can go out and win games rather than try not to lose. And it's usually the case with a team that's that's bad is that they go out to try not to lose rather than go out and have confidence they can win a game. They've got superstars that can win them games on their own back, but they don't have that attitude out there at the moment. And you, and that's it's one of those things where it, it it's hard to quantify that in in statistical numbers to try and work out which players are going to drag the team out of that malaise. And it's it, I suppose it's one of those one of those areas where those people that are still anti stats can try and use that as an argument in that you've got to have good locker room guys. Doesn't mean they have to be bad players though. I don't know what's a good locker room guy. Rob Scuderi calling the team out after every game? That's my point. You you still need good locker room guys, but they still have to be able to play on the ice. You know, Ben Lovejoy is is, is the love child of, of all the local media because he's a good quote. Doesn't mean he should be playing as a number three or a number four. Well, he shouldn't be on the team. No, but oh, we keep reaching. Simone, that. Simone Dupre should be on this team. And that's a horse that I'm going to just beat the shit out of until time ends. <laughs> you will take that one to the grave. It just highlights the inadequacy of, of the how they're running things. Yeah. That one move, while not like the biggest move of all time, just highlights the disconnect from what actually matters. That was done before Ventura came on board, wasn't it? Well, here's the thing with, and we've, you can hire him. Got to listen to him. I know he's smart. I've had the privilege of speaking with him. He's very bright. Yeah. Um, but he doesn't have decision-making powers. So ultimately, all the decisions still fall on, on the brass. Uh, suggestions and recommendations are the best that somebody in Sam's position can do and we're not behind the scenes to know how that that operation's working so I really kind of it's it's annoying when people are um, blaming the the stat guy it's like well you don't know how how he's being used no well it was the argument that was made 
on Tyler Dello as well when he went to Edmonton. It was it almost felt like that hire was to shut him up because he kept tearing them to shreds. Um, it feels like they're starting to listen to that stuff a little bit more often. But it's, it is difficult to know how much value was put into the, the work that Sam Venture was putting in. Um, because to, answer, the, to answer your question, he was hired over the summer. So yeah, so the that was... The thing wasn't... And was he was he hired before the Kessel trade as well? I think so. I'm just I'm just trying to remember my my timelines. And you and I have both said I, I I would do that Kessel trade again. Where where I think that they've not listened to Ventura is how to go about filling that blue line. And start, start with Pouliot. Just yeah. stop with this pseudo message sending nonsense. He's not going to drastically change as a human being. You have what you have with him. He got drafted 2012. It's going to be almost four years ago he was drafted. Yeah. The time – stop. Just play him now <laughs> or don't or move on from him. Those are your choices. This AHL stuff is just meaningless garbage. He scored tonight, by the way. Yeah, only goal in the third period before the Marlies came back and won it in overtime. Yeah, I should. I don't know if he's at fault for any of those goals against. No, no, <laughs> no. But it's it's it is one of those things where um, I don't know how much more complete Brian Dumoulin was ahead of um, Pouliot. If you look at the way both those players ended the year in the playoffs, you could see that Dumoulin was going to be okay, but he got absolutely manhandled in that in that series to the point where you go, is he going to be able to make that up? Because it was perfectly obvious that Pittsburgh were going to have to rely on Dumoulin stepping up this year. The question, I think, on everyone's mind was whether he could step up enough, and he stepped up more than I expected. So that's a really pleasant surprise. But you're not giving your number one prospect in your pool, which is very shallow anyway, uh, an opportunity to make it at the NHL level. Like They're going to want to save this season. You and I are looking at a longer point of view in regards to what can they do for next season and next season. Well, that's the thing. Who knows what their scope of anything is? Everything's in disarray. It's a pathetic situation that they find themselves in. They mangled. They were gifted Crosby and Malkin and have done everything to fuck it up. I'd be so pissed off if I were those two. And I'm sure they are, but well, what can they do? Well, they can just keep going out there and putting uh, 100% effort in like they are, even though people seem to think that they're not. Sid's trying. Yeah. Sid's got no puck support. I wa- watch it. And he's also not 22 and able to do it all on his own. You can't look like you're shot out of a cannon every two seconds while you're on the ice the whole time. The, the Crosby standard from years past is such a spoiling thing. It's not the norm. It's not even close to the norm. I can't think of... I really can't think of too many star players in the history of the sport that consistently skated as explosive as, as Crosby. Maybe like a Pavel Bure. I mean, Lemieux and Gretzky certainly didn't look like they were shot out of a cannon all the time. 
No, that's true. And when Sid, you've got Sid ability, did. really every shift, every shift, and now that maybe you know he's he's not in high octane on a few back checks. I mean, just pick a player on any shift and watch him. Yeah. No, no, it's it's an interesting scenario. It's like sort of listening to you talk like this. You you feel like it's almost not salvageable now, from the sounds of it. Like it just it can't be it can't be rectified. Like it's literally whatever window they had to win a cup with these two players in it, it's gone. No, it's not completely gone, but it, the the odds of it are, are greatly diminished. Uh, a few years back, the window was uh, much wider. It's not gone. There are things that you can do, and the other thing to keep in mind is that you can't look at it as one move saving the entire operation. You just need to break things down into small bits and pieces, and you need to ask yourself this question. If I make this move, am I better both short and long term than I was before the day started? And if the answer is yes, then you have to consider it. And uh, an example of that would be, is the team better if they call up Derek Pouliot right now? I think the answer is yes even with whatever perceived shortcomings come with his game, because, I mean, you have David Warzowski playing big minutes. Um, so he's not, Derek Pouliot is not the savior. So you need, nobody's saying he is. Does he make the team better? If the answer is yes, then those are the kind of things you do. Right? Yeah. yeah. It doesn't have to be some kind of magical God particle that solves the whole issue. Start making small moves that improved the team. And I thought they did a lot of good stuff over the summer. I, even though Benino's not having a very good year, I don't think he is. Uh, he's still cheaper than Sutter, and he's no worse. That's for sure. I still think he's better. Eric Fair hasn't been um, quite where I thought he'd be, but he's still better than what they've had. Oh, I'm so happy with that bottom six. Seriously, like... If you get there and you, you've written a really good piece in regards to the entire team's offensive production is down, right? So if you're going to get there and see that Crosby's production is down and Malcolm's production is down, if you get to the bottom six and you see that their offensive production is down from their career norms, I think everybody offensively is playing about where I expected them to be. Yes, you would have liked Benino to have scored more than one goal and you'd like Eric Fair to have scored more than he has. But the fact of the matter is they're not getting killed in their defensive zone like the previous bottom six have been. In fact, there have been times where I have seen Cullen, Plotkinov and Fair absolutely dominate a second line and keep them trapped in their zone, which is exactly what you want them to do. But then they rotate the puck up high and it just dies on the stick of the defenseman or it bounces over the stick of the defenseman and the zone gets cleared. So when you get your top line back out there to try and trap that uh, other line in the zone, it's gone. It just doesn't happen. So they're much, but that bottom six is much improved. Like as much as we have bagged the hell out of out of Rutherford, he's the GM, so we'll say that he made this happen. That was vastly improved. Just the inability to see that. Derek Pouliot is is better than Scuderi, no matter what the shortcomings are for Pouliot. 
like you said, shows a massive disconnect to what's required for the forwards on this team to succeed. I'm not so sure he's that worse than Daly. They could have bought Scuderi out and called up Pouliot. They could have sent... Well, they couldn't send Scuderi down. I think he has a no... Has a, that no it's move, a no but move. they could have called up Pouliot and benched Scuderi. Yeah. That was always an option. Yep. Uh, yeah, the... They were never going to win a Scuderi trade. No, but I, I legitimately think it's the same as the Sutter trade. It's addition by subtraction. Yeah, but I just... The idea of Daly eating up 4.4 mil is disappointing, but... At least 3.3 plus the Scuderi re- retention, isn't he? Yeah. 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 He's probably movable, though, if it came to it. Probably move seems, him again. Yeah, seems... seems definitely possible i mean no nah, you couldn't anaheim wouldn't be stupid enough to do that what's that oh i just take daily on for a stupid move like trading away one of the younger guys because they're going to make a panic move yeah they're like not it, doing well no oh man there's opportunity there but they don't need that's... right wingers. See, that's why the Penguins are so screwed. Their <laughs> potential trade partners don't need what their best asset is in Hornquist. If he was a left winger, you know, start. And he proven, he's proven that he he refuses to play on the left wing as well. He's come out and openly said, "I do not want to play there." So it makes it really hard to call up a general manager and go, "Oh no 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 no, he can play on the other side as well." Like, it, it has that has made it difficult for him to, to do anything in that situation. Sammy Vatnin is intriguing. That's who I had in the back of my head when I when I sort of floated it. But I'll give I'll give Anaheim credit. They didn't panic and they didn't fire their coach. And expectations on this team was to win the whole thing. And they're like second last in the league at the moment. But their division is so bad. They can still make that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the that division stinks. They're they're not out of it by any stretch. No. So credit where credit's due. There, I think they've still got a a, a good roster, and they will have to get it back into gear. But to have not had anything stuck to the course has, has been really clever I think on their behalf which is the complete reverse of what we've seen and probably asked for in Pittsburgh I think Jared Spurgeon and Minnesota is interesting I don't think that's necessarily intriguing on a, on a Penguins front but they uh, gave Scandella Brodine Suter big money and they have Spurgeon and Dumba up as RFAs they have to make up their mind which one of those two they're going to keep, and then they have to make sure they get assets back for either of those guys that they move. But Spurgeon's and... good. I like uh, oh, no. I like the idea of that. But again, don't think uh, they need a right winger. So makes it tough when Perron's not putting it up. To where he needs to. Kunitz has fallen off the table. These are difficult times. You see, it's one of those things, though, where 
I've been okay with how Perron's playing. He's just had no tangible results. Yeah, for what at some point. Yeah, it's the same argument we made with Kunitz last year. He was playing well, but he had no tangible results. At some point, that has to change for there to be any value with him. And at the moment, that's just not what they've got, is it? He needs to he needs to give them something, and he's given them nothing. It about sums it up. I mean, they made the deal for someone like him. Uh, Cheryl signed Kunitz, Dupuy, and Scuderi. Not even over thirty. I think they were all over thirty-four. <laughs> yeah, but you you look at the you look at the Perron deal. Everybody was happy with it. Nobody was upset with that deal in regards to what they gave up and, and what they got back and the way he started. It's always the hard thing with trades to pick who wins and who loses until you get a little bit further down the track and he's been disappointing in regards to getting points and assists. I think he's been okay with his possession considering everybody's possession numbers are low. So it's, it's a tough one to sort of work out. It, it is, it is funny how Ray Shero seems to have been able to produce a money ball style team in Newark, but couldn't or didn't want to do that in Pittsburgh, and his current GMs seems to have just continued the mess in the franchise. Is Jim Rutherford the GM next year? I think it comes down to whether the franchise is sold or not. I think it, whoever takes over that, this is one of those things where whoever takes over that franchise, if they come in and they want to, for want of a better way to put it, moneyball it, right, and really actually utilize the advanced statistics, Rutherford's not there, and I actually think they get this thing turned around and right the ship. Because there are obviously still general managers out there that aren't putting value into this stuff, and I think Pittsburgh has a general manager in that boat. So I really think if they want to, buy the franchise and actually get a good return on their investment, they'll put stock into that and they'll see a transition in the fortunes of the club. So it's ownership. I don't think they'll I don't think they'll fire Rutherford if it's still the current people that own it. Tough to predict with with the sale stuff yeah I mean this could this season couldn't have come at a worse time for trying to sell the team we'll have some foresight it, it's really funny they used to be considered a progressive forward thinking franchise and then it almost felt like they've gone alright well we've made it and they didn't have to keep was trying it, to was it that it? or are all these uh, kind of Tags placed on people, results driven. Well, they're I think progressive because they're winning in the moment, even though there's nothing progressive about winning a lottery and then being lucky enough to finishing in last place, losing a lottery and having Evgeny Malkin be your prize. Yeah, that's a good point because and then you get passing the... up on Jonathan Taves for Jordan Stahl. <laughs> I'm still okay with that, though. Would you have been if the cup was 
not there. I mean, why would it be? Because I'm not I okay with it in the sense that it was a gross. What misunderstanding of what the club needed? No, a gross misunderstanding of talent level. Mm. One of those three, Crosby, Milk, and Taves, eventually would have been traded, and the haul back would have been, would have been a lot better way. than Jordan Stahl, who right now has got Brian Dumoulin flirting as a number four right now, Derek Pouliot, who's learning lessons in the AHL, and Brandon Sutter, who sucked ass for two or three years with the Penguins. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, okay, that's that's fine. That's a legitimate way to, to look at that. And it, I suppose you, you do get there, and I suppose it's like running a country. You don't really get evaluated until your time is up and there's been four or five, year, four or five years gone to actually look back and, and see what happened amongst the mess. It, it, it's... That's the hard thing with it. I mean, you're right. Shero got gifted, you know, a number one draft pick goalie, a number one draft pick, a number two draft pick, and then was still a number two or a number three draft pick. I can't remember where he was. He was two. And you're probably right. If Pittsburgh didn't win that cup in 09, you do look back at Shero's tenure, and a lot of it was a mess. So... You know, we'll see whether he learned his lesson and he changes his approach in New Jersey. And it's the same with, with Bilesma. I mean, admittedly, they got that that whole era in Pittsburgh got absolutely demolished by my favourite player absolutely crapping the betting goal. There's no there's no other way to sort of look at that. Um, so they, their tenure could be looked upon an awful lot differently had he not been a mess but their handling of him in regards to sort of not jumping all over the a change of coach for him and trying to get his head sorted out earlier I, I think is just as much on the player as it is on the coaching staff so you're probably right you, you look at those guys and it, it was a, a complete failure through that Crosby Malcolm era those poor two Have we beat them up enough? Yeah, probably. Is there anything else you want to cover, like around the league, anything interesting that sort of happened that you're that we want to sort of end on? I mean, Patrick Kane had his scoring streak ended. No. Right, great, whatever. No coincidence that Scuderi was in the lineup at the same time. <laughs> that was that was funny. It had nothing to do with it, but it was funny. <laughs> it was anyway, it was very amusing. Um. Oh, I, I just I, think I, Columbus is really fucking up. But we, you, you brought that up at the beginning of the podcast. It's just yeah, John Tortorella, great, alienating your good players and still getting the same crap results as before the hire. Hey, that's the John Davidson effect. He was a part of New York when they hired Torts the first time around. So yeah, once it, was he? Yeah, once sure again, St. Louis. I could have sworn he was. I could have sworn he was there when Tortorella. Was. I could be wrong. I, I know I've got no problems if I'm wrong, but it does show you how retreading, and it's the same. It's the same thing with Pittsburgh. It does show you how retreading is a problem, and not looking forward to something new is a problem. 
So there are coaches to get retreaded, and they're good coaches. Like you look at like Babcock, obviously. Um, McClellan is a good coach. Trotz is a good coach. Laviolette, whilst he has a short shelf life, is a good coach. But he has a short shelf life. So you've really it, it's really hard to know who to retread and who not to retread. And, and Sullivan's a retread as well. So, you know, if he gets there and manages to rectify this over the course of his three-year I don't consider contract. him a retread in the sense that it's been they so not give up a draft pick to hire a, a flashier yeah, coach. That's a good point. He's in-house coaching yeah. the AHL team. So I don't think that's your classic retread hire. No, you're right. But he is an ex-NHL coach. And obviously watching what happened to a junior coach absolutely go ass up and watching the struggles that... I don't like that junior coach moniker because in 2014-15, they were good. No, no, I know. But him... It's like he lost the room because they weren't the same team that they were last year. That, That complete disconnect between what the coach requires of his assets to what he was given is ultimately probably what did him in and the, the team in because he was a smart enough coach to go, holy crap, we can't do what I wanted to do because I don't have the horses. So he was smart enough to change. Well, I, I get the logic of yeah. what he was trying to do. I don't think he was smart enough to change. I, I, I understand where he was coming from. Yeah. But um, I bet you if you asked Mike Johnston in private, he'd be like, you know what, I, I didn't need Phil Kessel. I needed competent defensemen, and I yeah. could have made this somewhat work. And he's probably not wrong. Phil Kessel is – here's my struggle with that trade is it probably was a luxury item, but it was tough to pass up because, the, in my opinion, the low cost for what he is. But they probably – there's arguments to be had that they should have gone in another direction with some other stuff. It's just that the cost was so low. No, I know, but the, you you get you do that trade. You know you've got gaping holes on your back end. You know you need to at least, and it's never going to happen, right? But they needed to at least retain a Paul Martin or a Christian Erhov or manage to acquire a Cody Franzen. That was what needed to happen. And I don't know how hard they tried. Erhoff was already out of the team before the season ended last year. He'd already sold up and was out. So you were never going to be able to retain him. You couldn't retain Paul Martin at the rate that he wanted, and nor should you for the length of time. That might hurt San Jose at the tail end of that. The rate was fine. I wonder if he would have taken three years. I would have given him three. And you, you do you do sit there with it and look at the arguments, a lot of the arguments against keeping Paul Martin was well, when by the time he gets old, he's going to be too expensive and he's going to be stopping other players from coming up. Well, they're not playing those young players up anyway. The one guy that everyone thought that he was going to negate being able to play, they're playing in the AHL as it is. They had the space to be able to grab Cody Franzen if they'd really wanted to, even with the Kessel deal particularly because they got Sutter off the books as well. Um, they would have been able to wiggle it around. Like you, you, I legitimately think if you had Cody Franzen or Paul Martin on that back end, Mike Johnson would probably still have his job because they would have still been playing the way they were previously. Well, yeah, Paul Martin's awesome. Yeah. 
And you know what? I'm sure the Sharks love having him. Well, you have a look at how good Brent Burns has been this year. What a pairing. It, it, there's no coincidence to the fact that the you have a look at the drop-off in Latang and the... And, and Brent Burns is awesome, but, but the level that he's playing is better than he has in the past. There is no coincidence in regards to who the partners for both of those players have been. And it's it's one of those things where they should, once Latang comes back, just throw Marta and Latang together and screw this trying to spread the love of skill level because you, you need your, your best players to play their best. And I would play those two together and just every time... Mel- every time Malcolm or Crosby are on the ice, they have to be on the ice with them. You just, in, and play them 26 to 28 minutes a game. Have them out there that often. Well, it'll be interesting as the deadline approaches and um, where they are in the standings. They have Carolina Wait. tomorrow. They lose that game. Wait. Good Lord. I jokingly said to you, what happens if they fall out of the lineup? How do they go about acquiring assets to give themselves flexibility? There is a real possibility that they will get to the deadline, and that's uh, they'll be well out of it before the deadline. All right, I got a few ideas. Perron, not playing well, pending UFA. But how many so, times have we seen guys not playing well, UFA, have a past history of scoring goals, have, have talent? And they, you know, they get you something. That's true. Something to track as far as like a left wing replacement um, would be Dominic Simon. I mean, if you're going to give up on the years, what I'm talking about, which I have my doubts the Penguins will ever uh, have that kind of self-awareness to do. And yeah. fight till the very end, probably. But he's got 25 points in 25 AHL games this year. So, you know, giving some of those guys a look if it came down to that. I guess he's the only one that I really see that's interesting. I know, this... lot, I know a lot of people say Oscar Sundquist or um, Scott Wilson and that, but I, I, I really only think Simon's probably the only one that is intriguing. Because if you... Because Daly... Has Daly got one more year in his deal? After this one, yeah. Yeah, so literally if they fall out, they'll be able to move him. Someone will someone will take him on. So they'll, they'll be able to move Trevor Daly. Um, you don't want to move Marta or Dumoulin... You're then left with Ian Cole and Ben Lovejoy. And with the way Ian Cole has played this year, I find it very hard to believe they could move him. Um, and I can't see Kunitz... Well, actually, if Pittsburgh if Pittsburgh roll their way out of a playoff spot to that point, could you see Kunitz going, yeah, I wouldn't want to have another crack at the playoffs and actually being more flexible with his no trade? Because he'd be going to a playoff team. I think they should contemplate that now. But can you? You know what I'm saying, though. I can't see him wanting to. I'm wanting out now. He's got, can a, you? Lim- he's got a limited. It's not I know. Blown. Mm-hmm. 
Send him to send him to Anaheim. Ah, uh, not to Anaheim. Send him to Edmonton. He's not going there. <laughs> After I just said he's only got a limited. He's not the, going there though. They're in the they're in the playoff hunt. Yeah, but whatever. Anaheim's no, no. a good one. He's a left winger. Formerly played there. Uh, and played well with the top line guys. Rode shotgun with them very well. Hmm. I just can't. I just can't see. They're struggling. They they really are, and they're in the same boat as Pittsburgh in that they need to turn it around reasonably soon, or they're going to run out of games. Like the whole, you can't expect either one of those two teams to run an Ottawa run at the end of the year. Like that was so freakish. Like you can't expect that to be the norm. Like, even when Pittsburgh changed coaches when they got Bilesmer in, they were closer to the playoffs than Ottawa were, and they only just managed to get their ass into the playoffs. And they had a great run, but it wasn't as good as Ottawa's. So it's it's really tough in this situation to drag it out and, and, and get it right. So imagine, imagine the Anaheim team getting the number one draft pick and drafting Austin Matthews on that contract. For the three years, I'll have that. Mm-hmm. If it all falls apart on them. Actually, you can say the same thing about Pittsburgh. It would suddenly give them a whole heap of flexibility, but there are a lot of teams below them that, that would need to fall apart. I think I read a tweet somewhere that Pittsburgh are closer to last than they are to actually making the wildcard spot at the moment. It shows you how tight it is in the standings. Or how crappy they are. True, but they've they've had to fall a long way of late. Like what what did you say their record was of late? Was it was it one in their last twelve or was it one in their last twelve without Latang? I can't remember. No, that was strictly without Latang. Without Latang, yeah, okay. Because their record in their last ten is is progressively getting smaller and smaller in the win column and bigger and bigger in that in that loser column. They haven't even played the Flyers, or not that I think the Flyers are great, but they they don't play well against them, Islanders, uh, or the Rangers. The the only thing that can probably save them in regards to getting back into the hunt, the yeah. way the divisional playoffs is set up, is they those guys. Maybe that's yeah, a good thing. They haven't played any of those guys yet. In regards, to, they're going to have so many divisional games in the back half of the year that if they do actually get it right, they might actually have a chance. If they win the games outright, not in overtime or a shootout, they win those games outright, then they might actually be able to claw their way back into the freaking division. It was one of the problems they had last year. They couldn't win in division, which made it so hard for them to actually get the playoff spot that they they wanted. They only just got in the last game of the year. So it, it, is, it is one of those things that you have a look at that revamped roster. They still were a number eight ranked team in the playoffs last year so they haven't really dropped off that far have they expectations is what has generated this shitstorm isn't it yeah and they're not alone in that no that's very true but that that is the truth are we done whacking them out I think so Although the power play sucks. I guess I I could rant on that. 
Well, it wouldn't be too hard to do. They're terrible. They're, yep. they're, they're beyond pathetic on the power play. Their X's and O's are garbage. Their personnel choices are garbage. Um, it's actually ludicrous to see with the talent there. They don't even have Crosby, Malkin, and Kessel on the same power play. And quite frankly, I think not being able to figure out how to use all those guys on, on a power play at the same time is grounds for dismissal because it shouldn't be that hard. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm going to throw a, a, a shout out to, to my high school team. We have seven power play goals in the last two games, and we scored three goals on one single major penalty, and we went three for three this evening. And uh, they don't do anything that special. They know how to identify their two-on-ones. They uh, there's movement. They move without the puck with a purpose. They do not hesitate to shoot, and they hound the puck. And that's really all it takes. And it, it's maddening to see the Penguins just not move at all. Like, their movement's brutal. Their stagnation right now is a lack of confidence because they know they're terrible. But earlier in the year, their stagnation was just poorly thought-out process. So it's going to be even harder now to drag that movement back into a power play that when it when it moves looks good it just it's they don't move so often that how easy is it to defend it's ridiculous it's not it's it's in, it's incredibly easy to defend and i we use an overload that morphs into an umbrella so basically if the guy on the the let's say for, for the Penguins, the guy on the right half wall has the puck. That could be Crosby or Malkin for how my setup would be. If the puck goes down low to the goal line, right? Yeah. We have our guy cut to the net on a give and go. Most yeah, times, oh. most times that's not going to be there, and that's fine because what that does is it takes the low defenseman killer and it gives him a guy to cover, right? Yeah, it creates a reaction. So what that does is it clears out the entire half wall, right? So our guy will immediately give a bank. As soon as the guy cuts to the net, he, he either gives him the pass. Ideally, that would be great if he was wide open. And we've had a few occasions where that, that's happened. But if not, they bank it off the wall to the defenseman that's right up there on the blue line towards the boards right away. They don't skate it to the hash marks and make the pass. They make the pass right away. What that does is it makes the uh, F1 penalty killer up top really go, oh, shit, because our guy starts walking the blue line, and that guy has a choice. Do I stay in the shooting lane, or do I guard the guy that used to be on the goal line because we have that guy follow his pass up to the top circle and our defenseman now has a choice to make. Um, he's created a two-on-one, or we've created a two-on-one. Either you're taking our shooting lane away, or you're giving us that gimme pass to the right top circle. And when you're talking about the Penguins, that right top circle guy could be Evgeny Malkin ripping a bomb, or Pittsburgh should have Mata up on the right point, walking the line on his um, off wing, so he's on his forehand the whole time with a snapshot. And the beautiful part about still having that 
having that shot option at the blue line on a snapshot. Remember that give and go? Yeah. You already have a built-in screen. And that's that's not even utilizing what you'd consider Kessel out on the on the left uh, wall. Well, you you go back to the defenseman walking the blue line, and then say that penalty killer up top takes the shooting lane away. That creates the pass back to the guy in the circle. Our guy in the circle's first look is back door across, if that lane's there. That's an immediate look, and quite frankly, that will be there if the Penguins are willing to shoot a lot. We shoot a lot and we create chaos, but we're so um, disciplined in our progressions of how we do things that everything's moving so quick and with a purpose. And um, I'm very proud of the way my guys are doing it. And I, I know it's just high school hockey, but these concepts apply to any level of hockey if you're doing it right. And quite frankly, the skill level you're talking about with, with a Crosby, Malkin, uh, Kessel, Mata, for example, because I want a lefty up there. And even Latang, if he were to play in this kind of a, an operation. But I hope a lot of that made sense. I know that was probably boring to listen to, but I hope it kind of paints a picture of how simple things could be if you have movement and, and just identifying a two-on-one on a power play and, and being willing to shoot the puck a lot. That's what creates the, the chaos. Yeah. And having that set plan in that chaos, you're able to expose east-west passing lanes for some of those prettier goals. But you're going to score a lot of those dog shit dirty goals too because you're just pouring on the pressure and uh, the penalty killers eventually scramble. So those are my two cents. That's how I would fix it. It it, it makes sense to me in regards to that. It's, it's It's one of those things where... We've lamented the inability of, of anyone on the Penguins power play, really, to replicate Gonchar's ability to read what's going on. And I, I think that's probably the that's probably the problem. Gonchar used to the, walk that line, though, right? Yeah. Well, guess and, what? And he was drawing a guy. And what was Gonchar's favorite pass? Back to Gino for the one-timer. And, and I, it's one of those things where... As much as we sort of don't want Worofsky in the lineup, he's willing to walk that line. He just doesn't have the skill set to do anything with it when he does. Well, he shoots too. I, I, he would actually fit what I'm talking about. Like, he's willing to shoot. He's willing to walk the line. So he would actually be fine because what I'm suggesting isn't uh, completely skill-based. It's just basic stuff. He certainly well within his skill set to do that yeah you just have to have that willingness to shoot and willingness to get your ass from that the you're going to get the pass off the wall or a direct pass and you need to walk from the boards to the middle as hard as possible you need to make that penalty killer up top make a choice you can't let them be in you can't let them guard both the shooting lane and the passing lane and a lot of that's happening now make them choose and that choice gives you the two-on-one but that only happens with movement, and the Penguins' power play has none, and they're so content on the outside. And then they got left-handed guys on the left wall who aren't a threat to shoot. And if I'm a penalty killer, I'm like, fine, Sid, hang out there. I don't give a shit. We're going to shut down your fancy east-west lane. Hang out there. Pass it back to the defenseman that's not going to shoot. Or put it down low to Patrick Hornquist, who can't make a play with a puck anyways. <laughs> and that's the Penguins' power play. You do realize now that everybody 
that you coach against will be able to stop your power play. No, they can't. <laughs> I like that. No, no, and, well, I don't, and I don't mean it from a cocky standpoint. No, what, what, but we, it, are, what... what we are doing is creating two-on-ones, and there is nothing that can be done with four guys out there if they structurally are doing what we're asking them to do and executing it properly. There's nothing they can do other than choose shooting lane, passing lane. They have to make that choice, and that's what it's all predicated upon. Fine, make your choice. Our guys are making their read, and right now oh. they're reading right. And they're always going and they're to... doing it. Now a goalie can always stop a power play. And that's that certainly true. can happen. And we're getting fortunate that our shot shooting percentage is, is extremely really high right now. And I get that, but their process is great. And I'm very happy about that. And every day we work hard on uh, not being content and um, also not being overconfident with how it's going and that the, the process is what's right. And they need to keep focusing on that. And uh, they do a great job with it. And I, I thought about that before I rambled on about the, our power play, and then I thought about it. Like, okay, great. You can't hey, cover if everybody. You, if you execute it properly, I mean, look at Washington. Everyone knows what Washington's power play is about. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, but they make great reads. Well, shit, nobody ever does. <laughs> it's because they have a process, and they're very good about uh, making it happen. And if you can really, um, if you get movement with bodies and have a game plan with how you're moving the puck, there's not much a penalty-killing unit can do outside of hoping their goalie's playing at a high level. Yeah. Um, I mean, the other part of the power play that we haven't talked about at all is is getting your zone entry. And so the problem that is that's where Letang is good. Hasn't been this year, but you're right. And, you know, even even our guys struggle with that. They get up too high on their curls. The pass doesn't come soon enough, and, and the PK guys are on them. Uh, so, or or in the NHL, Worzovsky will make a phantom drop pass to nobody because that's what yeah. somebody told him to do, but he didn't read the play well. Uh, but it's, I, all that power play talk was predicated on you getting an entry with full possession and that's not always a given but once you get there power play shouldn't be hard i mean boston look at their personnel out there they were moving do they shoot yeah they shoot all the time don't they Mm-hmm. what are they it's, it's, it must be so frustrating when the power play seems to be so simple yet Teams seem to overcomplicate it and then wonder why it doesn't work. Well, I, I was a player. I, I get it. You want to make that really nice play. It makes you feel really good. It makes you feel better than a, the, than the dirty goal at times. But it, um, yeah. It leads to this. <laughs> when, when, when you're a team like Pittsburgh that isn't, doing all the other things well, and I'm talking about the 2015-16 Mike Johnston Penguins, you have to have a good power play to make up for a lot of those shortcomings from your 5-on-5 offense, and they haven't had it. I'm seeing signs of Sullivan's 5-on-5 stuff a little bit better geared towards generating 5-on-5, but they haven't had those results. So they they need that power play to get going. 
but I would argue the power play has actually gotten worse under him. Well, it's yeah, small sample given, but <sighs> hey, look, when you get a coach in Sullivan's situation and does some stuff that looks very weird, and he goes, "I want to try some things out, see what people are going to give me." I can't blame him for doing that. I might not agree with some of his options whilst doing it, but I, I can't argue. I can't argue with him wanting to have a crack. Nothing's worked, you know, in theory up to this point. Why not throw a spanner in the works, put some people in positions where they're not comfortable, see if it shakes them out of the slump that they're in. But throwing players on what you would consider to be the wrong side of the ice because of what hand they shoot. Or not putting all your best players on the ice at the same time. Seems a little extreme for that process, but I've got no problems with him trying something different. It's... You know, I, I think they'll gravitate back towards where they normally play positionally. It's just that a, a, aggression and um, conviction in their movements uh, through the power play that should help them out. Can I go back to, um, you know, how I had the, the guy down low, pass it up to the point, point man walks, yeah. and then guy follows pass? Yeah. So Phil Kessel's not good on the, the one-timer portion of things? No. Well, if you have Latang as a left point man doing the same things I was asking of Mata on the other side, and if Latang actually did what was asked with if it, this was the power play and walked it hard because he's a great skater and dished it back to Kessel, he could cur- do that curl. Curl and shoot. Yeah, that wrist shot. Yeah. And, and once again, you already have that um, built in screen with the give and go original give and go guy i mean yeah. it all blends in perfect because ideally i would run it out of the right side with crosby malkin but if things don't always go to plan you still have kessel on the other side so you run it out of both sides equally with latang mata it, it doesn't matter and i would have Perron as opposed to hornquist because i don't trust hornquist to make actual plays with the puck that are necessary and i think uh, contrary to belief, I think Perron's just as fine in front of the net as Hornquist is as far as hands and, and willingness to go there. It's one of those things where if you if you say you, you place it on the goal line, which is where I think you and I both agree that he's best down there and you do let Gino run the wall. But if you, if you do go to set up, though, and, and say you don't get to set up on the right-hand side of the ice – because that's where you, you want to be. You want to be through Gino, right? And you do play Sid down the goal line. You just have Sid basically direct the defenseman with the puck and just have Sid switch to the other side of the freaking net and go, all right, we'll run it. We'll, we'll run this from the left-hand side. We'll run it through Kessel. Because yeah, Kessel Sid goes to the right the... post, and we have a play where it's not always – I tell my defenseman, you're not even shooting the score. You're, you're shooting it to get through the first tier of shot blockers. And hopefully we get a tip, but there's also a beautiful thing. If we know the guys are screened, we have that off-post tip play. Yeah. And who better than Sid to redirect that? And Perron has shown he can tip a puck as well. And with with Perron's skating ability, which is so-so, but he can, he can curl and position up for those... And Kessel is quite good at this, throwing those ridiculously hard passes through the seam and just have Perron stick on the ice to deflect the puck at the net. Because Crosby's smart enough 
to curl back around the other side of the net behind to get on the rebounds for those really quick kick saves that the goalies just have to do on reflex with no rebound control. So you've got Sid sitting on the, just sitting off the net for those rebounds. It's one of the things that I find really frustrating about watching Hornquist. He spends so much time sitting on the goal, on the goal crease. That... He has no puck support to speak of. No, but, but Hornquist sits on the power play on the goal crease, right? At the top of the, at the top of the blue paint and the shot goes off, right? He doesn't back up two feet to give himself any space for leverage to get the puck over the pad. He just sits there and whacks. Or the rebounds usually kick out eight to ten feet. Yeah, past him. So, yeah, he might be there taking some punishment, and all credit to him for that. But what's the point of taking the punishment if there's no reward at the end for a quality shot? And it, all it takes is is a his a success tendency. is predicated right now on like not predictable variants. Yeah, <laughs> is that really where but you want to be? It's a ten to two pivot on your with your ass on the other guy's hip to rotate away, and and then you've got some space. Like that's that's a skating technicality that someone at his level should have, and he quite clearly doesn't. He does all the hard work in regards to the way he skates. Looks like he's working hard. But if you can't make that 10 to 2 pivot on someone's hip in front of the net, you're useless. I mean, it's one of the things that Corey Perry, I don't think, gets enough credit for. And same with Jamie Benn in regards to how they rotate off a check on the crease to get open for those tip-ins and for those garbage goals. And it's something that I, I think that... Hornquist could learn still at this age if they bothered to work on that with him. And it's not. It's about hard work in other areas rather than the finer technical points of skating and of tipping pucks and stuff like that. And it just frustrates the hell out of me when I see him do it. I think that's all I got. That power play rant took a lot out of me. (laughs) We've, we've said that three times. We're done. I know, but that power play rant was uh, something that has been boiling up inside of me. Um, yeah, but that was great. That, that's a really good. It's a, it's good to get a coach's perspective on how you set up your players to force decisions of the penny, penalty killers to then trust your players to make the right play, and that that's not what's going on with the Penguins at the moment because I don't think they trust themselves to make the right play. Well, the whole point There's of something... hockey is to create a two-on-one at even strength. That's what you're really trying to do over and over and over again is create your two-on-one. Well, come on, the power play. What what easier situation is there than to dictate where those two-on-ones are coming? Then That's just my philosophy on it, and I understand that the NHL, the penalty killers are much better, but on the flip side, I think Crosby and Malkin are that much better than the penalty killers. So I think it something simplistic like what I've suggested would suffice. Maybe it's not the um, the golden bullet, but I can almost guarantee it, it's better than the status quo. Probably give them a yeah. 25% power play. You should they they should be scoring one in every four, really. So, yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> all right, dude, we're we're pushing over an hour and a half with this. We should probably wrap it. All right, 
um, HockeyHurts.com, at Walshy66, at Gunner Stahl, HockeyBuzz.com for Penguin stuff, HockeyPerspectus.com for analytical stuff. Donate to the podcast at HockeyHurts.com, and please give us your feedback on iTunes if you would like to give us a, a star rating or maybe even take a little short bit of time out of your day to write an actual review. That would be much appreciated. Thanks for uh, getting through all that, guys. <laughs> yeah. Try to make it as quick as possible. So, <laughs> Oh. And last but not least, I cannot believe they uh, slit Chewbacca's throat the first five minutes of the Star Wars movie. Oh, I'm going to see that tomorrow. <laughs> I'm sorry if that actually happened. I have no idea. I'm just. Uh... I knew that that was going to be the case, but that is funny. <laughs> so, uh, Star Wars fans, enjoy that. Uh, we'll see you next week.